Alrighty, so we've been studying through First uh, Corinthians, and we left off yeah in chapter twelve talking about spiritual gifts, and now we pick up. We pick up. Uh, we're actually going to be thirteen. I said twelve before, so you just flip the page or look wherever you have to look. But in First Corinthians thirteen, this is like you know the wedding passage that's read, and you know every wedding ceremony everywhere. And some people would say that as so we've been talking about some interesting things. I hope it's interesting to you. I, I think it's pretty interesting. And the Spirit's been doing some cool stuff, so I know it's happening. Um, so we've been talking about a lot about the spiritual life and the Holy Spirit. Say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Yep. And so we've been talking about Him as a person. Everybody say person. Right? And what He does is uh, He leads us. He teaches us. He convicts us. Um, and what He does, His primary goal is to make myself, to make yourself into the image of Jesus Christ. Say image. Image. So what his primary duty, his primary job is to transform us. Say transform. Because how many people in here know if you're left to your own, you won't end up looking more like Jesus in a hundred years? <laughs> you might think you would or could, but you won't. You'll get further away. All right? So that's the Holy Spirit's primary goal and the heart of every Christian believer is to look more like Jesus Christ. That is the goal. Because truth is not an idea or a concept or much to be debated. Yes, there are truth issues to talk about and things and and we should have those discussions. But what God has said is He said that truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a pretty big deal to say something like that. But that's what he said. And the Christ follower says, okay, I believe that, I have faith in that. Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I'm going to follow after him. The Holy Spirit's going to reside in me and empower me to also follow after him. And not even just do what he did. In some cases, possibly, probably, say probably, do even more. That's what's on your agenda. That's what's on my agenda. That's what's on the horizon. That's the goal. I know most days, or a lot of days anyways, it's like, can I just get through the day? That <laughs> losing my mind. Sometimes that's the day. The Christian life tends to make a change out of things, and it's not, our days are not no longer a good day, bad day. It's, what did the Holy Spirit do today? How did I partner with Him? Did I even notice it? What did He have on tap for that day? Did they just Things just change radically. Life just changes totally. So we've been reading through the Holy Spirit and what He does and how He empowers the believer. And our main focus uh, has been Paul's focus. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And the focus has been the Holy Spirit is going to bring together this this group of people where the Holy Spirit's been working through, has relationship with, is empowered by, he's bringing these people together and they're going to be called the... Starts with a C, ends with an H. Church. You got it. They're going to be called the church. Okay? So they'll be called the church. And the church's primary goal is to shine like a bright light, like a city on a hill. 
And their main goal is to come together as a group and to be equipped by this Spirit. And that prayer that's prayed so many times, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's main vehicle for His will, for His agenda to be accomplished here on earth is done through His church. Try and imagine for a second, if you could, a world, a globe, without the church without the Holy Spirit. That's pretty scary. That's like chaos. I, like, what, what even happens there? I don't even... If you just like, even think for a minute, if, if the Bible's real, which I believe that it is, and if it's true, you have all these churches meeting all over the globe today, different times, some already met all across the world, some will still meet. Like, there's prayers from the saints going up all over, praying for nations, praying for peoples, praying for families, just covering the whole globe. And, and, it's, it, and it's not like the movie, what was that movie with Jim Carrey? Like, what was that one? Oh, Bruce Almighty. They just keep coming in like emails or whatever, and he's just getting dinged all over the place. It's like those prayers are going up, and they, they are literally covering and holding back, and in some cases victoriously winning, lives and hearts and circumstances and situations all over the globe for the glory of God himself. That, wow, that's amazing. And, and not like, we don't get to just watch it. We get to become contributors to it. And in the local church, right, what we get to here locally is we get to like really invest in that and, and pour ourselves into that and see what he does in our midst and in our town and around us. It's an amazing opportunity and privilege we get to have. Why does God choose to use the prayers of his saints in that way? I don't know. It's just what he chose to do. That's the way he says that he does it. It's amazing. So when the church gets together and relies on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers and equips, say empowers and equips. Get those two E's. Get to know this E, but also get to know those two E's. You like that E? Yeah. Empower and equip. Say empower and equip. Telling you what the Holy Spirit does. He powers and equips. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit is empowering and equipping... He uses some special tools in his toolbox. So many times, plumbers, carpenters, whoever, they got their tools. They got their hammers, they got their saws, they got the saws all, you know. They got all kinds of tools. The Holy Spirit has his specific tools. He calls them different names, not hammers, not saws, not screwdrivers. He calls them words of knowledge. He calls them prophecy. He calls them healings. He calls them tongues. He calls them all kinds of different things. All for the purpose of not to shine light on a person and so a person can make a name for themselves or be known for a thing. To get status, to have identity. It's never the goal, never the purpose. So what was the goal? What is the purpose? How does it work right? I'm glad you asked. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And now I will tell, show you the most excellent way. Well, really? That's interesting. He's going to show us the most excellent way for the Holy Spirit to move and to work. 
Some people would say that this chapter is like out of, we're just talking about all this spirit stuff and spiritual this and spiritual that and the Holy Spirit this and tongues and like all kinds of stuff. And then we're talking about love. Some people think like Paul just took a break from what he was talking about and then in 14 he'll get back to it. And the truth of the matter is it couldn't be further from the truth. Chapter 13 holds it all together. It's the glue that holds everything together. Because you always have truth, and you always have love. And, they, and when it's right, they dovetail together. It's never at the cost of something else. They have to come together. Because if you've got too much truth, you have a situation where you almost have like a dictatorship situation that's very harsh, and where people feel very burdened, they can never, unless they can do it, they feel like they're not really worthy or like God won't really move. There's always this sense of, I'm just so far, I'm always striving and I can't get it. That's too much, that's like heavy truth. That's the way the Pharisees did it. So some Christians are referred to as Pharisaical, like it's just, it's just all about the truth and the truth and the truth. But truth does matter. If it's all about love, then it's just, well, that truth is, you know, it's about love. How is somebody feeling? It's, it's, it's really about that. That's really what it's all about at the end of the day. It's just about love. And so if you have too much love, it's like where too much love ha- ha- has no boundaries at all of any kind. It, the boundaries and parameters are really just set by whatever the personal convictions are of a person. And I, God would say, that's, yeah, that's not really what I'm talking about. And that's interesting to think about in this day and age, because when we talk about the topic of love, um, what, what are we saying? What are we saying? What is God saying? Well, much of what our world says is love is love. Whatever, and that's a popular phrase, love is love. Whatever strong feelings are had towards another person, another individual, another species, you know, whatever it is, they've been put there. That's part of you. That's part of who you are. And so to deny that or suppress that is wrong. Because you were created that way with those things and those desires. So where does God's love fit into that whole idea, into that equation, and into that picture? So this chapter of love is completely practical from a 2016 perspective, and is totally needed, say practical first, from a 2016 perspective, but totally needed, say needed, in a spiritual gifts perspective. It really hits on both fronts. So here's the most excellent way, and we're going, to talk, we're going to highlight things as we go. If I speak the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me just say also quick on a quick side note, on Wednesday nights, usually we recap things and talk about things that maybe we couldn't, or I didn't even do a great job of um, talking about that well, and on a Sunday just clarify so we did that on Wednesday. If you have Wednesdays free, 6.30 p.m., we do our prayer meetings next door, pray about anything and everything. 
um, but also pull out some things, you know, from Scripture that, you know, whatever the Spirit usually has. And, um, yeah, so I don't know. I just thought I was just to say that. Yeah. So, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So if somebody were up here, if Kayla was up here right now, and she had uh, her cymbals or a gong, and she was just going just crazy on it, bang, 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 <laughs> she's losing her mind, or doing it every other second, or just running into it, just doing crazy stuff with it. That's the picture, that, I mean, that's just crazy, right? It's chaotic, it's odd, it's abnormal, it's annoying. That's the picture given, that's the illustration given for people with gifts in the Spirit. Prophetic words, words of knowledge, tongues. If this stuff is just flying all over the place, specifically, not even just disorder or chaotic, but specifically without the L word? Yeah, specifically without love, that's what it's like. It, it's like annoying. It's like out of place. It doesn't, it, it's not fitting. People just want to shut it off. So this love issue is central and super critical to it. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, that's a pretty impressive faith. But I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what does he do? Verses 1 through 3 here. He's, Paul is explaining to us and showing us how critically needed love is with spiritual gifts. That's why he just told us that. The question is, why? It's a good question to ask. And I'm glad you thought about it. Why? Why is love so... Those are powerful things. I mean, listen, if we could go out right now and just, you know, move, you know, a mountain outside, kind of seems like we've arrived. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's tell Nautic River, okay, stop flowing right now because we said so. All right, all right. And now we're doing it now. Some people will like, well, think that way. There's a temptation to think that. Just at our command and at our authority, things just, bah, boom, and then it happens, and ah, yeah. We've arrived. And it's, yeah, amen. <laughs> it is kind of, right? It's kind of misleading. It says, fathom all mysteries? I'd like to fathom like a tenth of them. How about that? That'd be impressive. Make me feel good. So it says, basically he's saying, listen, you could do all of this stuff, which is interesting for two reasons. One, somebody could be operating in these things and have not love. So think about that for a minute. The Holy Spirit could just invest into you or to somebody else heavy amounts of these gifts, and they could be overflowing out of their life, prophetically just very strong, speaking um, inspired words from the Holy Spirit that are true and that take place and that are real, that are convicting. They could have words of knowledge. They could have insight about people's lives that they don't know, that they just communicate them in real time and the person has never met them. 
These things could be, you could pray for somebody, somebody to be completely healed. These things could happen in a person's life. Could happen in a person's life. And that person could be void of all love. They just could do it because they know they could do it. And for most of us, if we do something because we know we could do it and it's fairly impressive, we start to feel good about ourselves. Because now we're that person that can do that thing. But that was never the point. Never the point. What was the point? Again, I'm glad you asked. What is the point is that spiritual gifts and the working, the manifestation, say manifestation. It's not a word you use all the time, so let's use it twice. Say manifestation. Right? The manifestation. So the Spirit Himself that moves, that works, that has plans, that has tools. What He does, He embodies into a person. And then the way that we see that He is real and that heaven culture exists on earth is that he, the Holy Spirit does it through a person. Does it through a surrendered life. Does it through a believer. So when that happens, the whole idea for it to happen was because he wanted us to deliver a message of God's love and his desire to be with the people he created. That's the whole purpose, the whole goal. It's a further extension of his love that you are really cared for, that you really do matter, that the little things going on in your life, they still are big things to him and they matter to him. That the pain that we experience still matters to Him. That the struggles that we have, they are significant. That He still is a God who's able to part a Red Sea and also touch your knee. That's the whole purpose of it. It was never for anything else. Not for a show, not for some money, not for anything. And so that's why Paul's making this point. He's saying... You could do all that stuff, but if you don't have love, it's pretty much worthless. Like You're totally missing it. You're just going to screw people up more than you help them. So don't even bother. So we keep going. Verse 4, right? The one that probably everybody has heard. Now, as we read this, remember we talked about practical to 2016? So there's a version of love that's out there, and then there's a version of love that was modeled, say modeled, It was modeled in Jesus. I'm really glad that he modeled it. That helps a lot. It always helps to visually see things. Um, He modeled it, and plus God has defined it. He wrote it in words. So if we're ever curious about how to define what love is, or if we really love somebody else, or if love is a part of us, we can look to see like how Jesus acted and what he did. We can also look to see, hey, what did God choose to write down? It's very helpful. So here's what he wrote down. Love is patient. It is kind. And actually, in some version, it says it's long-suffering. So, man, when you love people, like you're patient with them. You're just able to bear with them. You're not ready to, you don't have a short fuse. Not ready to crack. I'm just looking for a problem. I've already told them so many times. Why would I be patient now? Obviously, they didn't listen, so maybe they'll listen now. Things we do. Right? That's like, 
that's got no place in, in love. Literally no place. It has all the place in the world for our flesh because it makes sense. That's just the first part. Love is patient. Like that's, and it doesn't mean tolerating. I'll just put up with that. You know? I'll just, I'll just put up with that. No. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. You know a good way to think about that? A good way to think about that is um, something somebody has said, and I don't remember who. It wasn't somebody here. I, I don't remember who, but they described it in a good way. You know, when you're with people in their frustrating situations, and they could even carry on for years. And those are always the toughest. But even if they're short, shorter, in time length. Long-suffering looks like, God, this person has, has no idea, has no idea what they're doing right now. They cannot see straight. All they can see is their problem, whatever they're doing. And God, help me not just see how offended I am. Because if they could really see what it's creating, what's going on, they wouldn't choose to be that way. Nobody just wants to be salty. Nobody just wants to be irritated. Nobody just wants to be mean all of the time. Nobody just wants, nobody would just choose that. No kid in the world would just choose that. Oh, that's the way I want to be. Mean to everybody and have no friends. But somewhere, like, along the line, like, we, I don't know, like, somewhere along the line, our flesh has stepped in and said, okay, that's enough now. There's, like, a time limit. So I don't know what the time limit is. It depends on the person and the situation. But we give it time limits. And, you know, probably, and I would say that part of the time limit strategy has some truth, but it only applies to one person. It only applies to Jesus. He's the only one that can set the time limit. Because I'll tell you what, when he comes back the second time, he's not going to be washing feet. He's not going on a cross. He's not Mr. Nice Guy. He's the judgment guy. And (laughs) I'm glad I'm saved. And I won't have to count for my stuff. So he, obviously, he's got a timeline. You know, at some point in time, God himself, he's saying, hey, listen, at some point in time, like, I got a timeline. But for our functioning, the way we live, I mean, long-suffering should be a pretty dominant trait in our personality and who we are. That's what the Spirit's calling us to. And the good news is, He's not just calling us to it, He's developing it in us. It's already happening. It's just up to us, really, to embrace the process. So sometimes people say things to us like, man, you're really being impatient right now. You're really being mean. Or somebody immediately gets defensive with us. It's probably a clue that they're sensing something off of us. <laughs> and we can like take that with a grain of salt and just say, ah, whatever. Or we can investigate that a little bit more. 
Because the Spirit's going to use other people to help show us this stuff. So that was just the first part. And that wasn't even really a great explanation. Love is kind. Some people that just are not kind people. They're just, I want to get mine and get it done and whatever I got to do. They're just not kind, just not compassionate. It does not envy. It does not boast. So envy is looking at somebody else's stuff and being like, you know what, I should really have that. I should really be in that position. That's like the, that's like that's the original problem was envy in the garden. Well, he gave us everything else. Like we should really have access to this. Like, you know, you're going to give me everything. Why would you hold out? Because if you love me, why would you hold out that tree? What kind of love holds out? And then he's like, got him. Got him to question it. Got him to question it. When the Spirit's moving and flowing, envy's, envy's not there. Does not boast, it is not proud. Um, so let me talk about that for a minute. So that's interesting. Does not boast, it is not proud. So we shouldn't like arrogantly talk about ourselves, how amazing we are. I mean, you know, just go to somebody, just tell somebody how amazing you are. See how long that lasts before they have to go somewhere or do something. Um, probably not called to a lot of self-promotion for ourselves. Just promote ourselves at any instance that we have. I think that's one of the big problems with social media. It's just an instant platform for self-promotion. It's kind of like, it's not a great situation. Um, at the same time, I think it would be a huge mistake to not be confident in who we are. So there's a difference in being confident in who God says we are for a child of God and He's forgiven us and He calls us a real priesthood. He says we're sons and daughters of Him. He says that He promises to provide. I mean, I think it would be kind of silly to not have confidence in that. And to share that. But we've got to be very careful in the way that we do it. Because some Christians have been taught that like any self-confidence that somebody has, if they say they're good about something or good at something, oh, be careful, you're being conceited now. I think there's like this real quick jump in of like correction towards that. It's nice to be on Christians who really know who they are. I'm really good at this. I can do that really well. You should count on me for that. I can do it. That's a healthy and good thing. Not easily angered. Oh. He makes it even worse. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's like forgiveness. <laughs> Imagine that. It's supposed to be the cornerstone. I found it true in my life and in other people's lives. If we can easily hit the replay on somebody to like 
get us back at them or have a thing against them to justify why we're feeling a particular way about somebody, that is so far from God, it's not even funny. And it's so paralyzing and so crippling and does so much damage. The entire life, the entire foundation of Christianity is based on forgiveness. And I'll tell you what, it's actually really freeing to just go through life and just not keep a record. Not keep a record. I don't remember. It's whatever. Just not keep a record. Now let me tell you this also. I have also found that sometimes keeping a record is helpful. Let me show you how. Many times in my own life, I have found that I need to keep a record of certain behaviors and things that I say in certain situations, because I forget them. Or I will do it of other people. Nobody in here, don't worry. I would do it of other people. But listen, listen, listen. It's not for the point to make a case. See, most people don't know anything about that. We keep a record to make a case. We don't keep a record to try and see how we are and how we respond. Or what affect other people and what like might set them off. I think keeping a record for that's really good. That shows that we're a student of our story. Say student of our story. Yeah, like the Spirit's gonna work through us and work through other people and our engagements and how things happen. I think it'd be good to take good records of that. Not like, well, you know, we had this argument two weeks ago on the 15th and you said it's like this is going to be an issue that's a problem but no record of wrongs to come back and nail them with it love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth alright so let's stop there for a second it says love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth I think as you read it and as you see it, everybody in here would say, hey, the Bible's saying there's this thing called truth. What's implied is that this love is in submission to what's called the truth. That's very difficult for us as a society and as a people group to handle. Because it goes back to the issue of I feel a particular way about somebody, I have these feelings. That's who I am. And what God says, what Jesus has modeled, is that no matter how strong the feelings are, God sets the definition for what love is. Oh, boy, that's just a lot of fight back on. No, I... That's a very minority opinion. But if you just reason with me through it, is it just like my opinion on what I'm saying, or is it what God is actually saying? Does he actually say that in the Bible? Was it modeled by Jesus? Jesus agonized in the garden. He did not want to go through with paying the penalty for sin and dying on the cross. He agonized. He didn't want to. In fact, he even told God, if there's some other way, then let's do it. I don't want to. Don't want it. Everything within me. And so much so that he was actually, the Bible refers to him, 
There's a medical term for it. I don't know it. Jamie, you could probably help me. But there's a medical term for it to where he was sweating drops of blood. He was in so much anguish. Talk about anxiety. Like, this was heavy duty. No, I don't want to. Just every fiber. But then, if this is the way you want to do it, Lord, this is the way you said to do it, then I will do it. That's a big part of love. I mean, that's like foundational. Foundational. So when couples get together, and we do premarital counseling, like that's where we start. It's where we start. The marriage mindset. Because it's got to start right there. What is love? What are we talking about? How do you guys know each other? How has that been tested? How do, what's been going on here? What kind of, you've been through tough times. Okay, like what time, kind of tough times? How has that love been shown true? How has that love been submitted at all in any way? Is God in charge of that love? Or are you guys like saying you're in charge of that love? Like, ah. So that's like number one where we start. And then you talk with couples later. And many times after it's later, it's like, well, I don't love them anymore. I fell out of love. I'm out of it. It's gone. In fact, some couples, right there, I'm just repulsed by them. I can't even be around them. I don't want to sleep in the same bed. I, nothing. I'm repulsed. It's reality. And what, what God would say to them in that case is, love was never summed up in a feeling. Never. Never. And that's got to be straight on day one with any married couple, with anybody that says, you know, really that they love somebody. It was never summed up in a feeling. It was indicated by feelings, for sure, but not dictated by feelings. Tell me you hear it. It was indicated. Say indicated. But not dictated. No, you're good. It helps when you say things out loud because then like, it gets in there. Love boils down to where it's a choice. It's a choice. And that's why the arena of marriage is really helpful. So Paul makes his case again and again and again. Like, listen, stay single. Don't get married. Be like I am. It's a lot easier. A lot of married couples are like, yeah, you know, I should have read that chapter before. Um, and I get that. You know, I get that. Um, but there, there is the unique part also to the marriage relationship to where, man, it just be, it just, it's just in your face like 24-7 of um, how often love is a choice. It just, well, many days and many times, it's a choice. I am choosing to not receive love from you, but to actually give you love. To gi- I'm going to give it to you. That's what love looks like. I, I'm giving it to you. I am choosing to do that. Not because you deserve it. Not because you did what I asked. Not because I'm going to get anything in return. But because the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that has changed my life asked for nothing so I can inherit everything that he has for me. It required faith. That was it. So my heart's been so changed and so transformed by that, I now pour it out to you. And for some Christians, they've got to really evaluate, like, man, do I even you know, love some people in my life that I should really be loving? Family members and other people. 
Does that mean there's never any boundaries of any kind? No, I think there's definitely times, you know, for boundaries. Severe situations, you know, people have to be protected. Um, people have to be watched over. Um, there's definitely times for it. But I think a lot of times, you know, we've got to fall in the arena of just pouring out of what the Spirit gives us for the sake of other people. So it rejoices with the truth. That's what love does. It rejoices in the truth. So it's a really difficult day in our nation to celebrate, you know, back in June, July, you know, so they say that, hey, marriage isn't carried from state to state, marrying whoever you want. I know a lot of people want to rejoice about that and have, you know, we're not really a Christian nation and people are going to marry who they're going to marry, you know, whatever. And it's tough to rejoice in that when you know that's just not the truth of the situation of the way God wanted to design it and had intended for it. Does that mean you vehemently, angrily hate these people? No. I like No. But it does mean, man, the truth of the situation, like what marriage was designed for and the person who created it, that's not what he had in mind. So it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Wow, that's a lot of always. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That just sounds exhausting. (laughs) Sounds tiring. And convicting. Um, I don't know. You might have a different opinion, but this is just my opinion. I don't think the text is saying this, but um, that hope thing plays an issue, especially long-term things with the love and the hope. Because when we get our hopes, when we hope for something, you get your hopes up. There's a chance for disappointment. When you've repeatedly loved somebody the way God's talking about, the way the Spirit moves, it's like you always maintain this hopeful position no matter how much disappointment has happened. How, How does somebody do that? It's only, 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 only under the provision of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. You can only be crushed and disappointed so many times before it starts to just affect the way you're hopeful for another person. We can only handle so much. So for some people, some Christians, man, they need a heavy dose of hope in their life for another person. And they just constantly, Holy Spirit, man, just help me just to pour out and be hopeful that they would change. And not just that, use me as an integral part towards that. What can I offer to help them become where you're calling them to be? That's a heart that truly cares about somebody else. Because a heart that kind of cares says, oh man, Lord, I hope you get them there. I'll watch you from here. Go ahead and take over. 
the heart that's connected to the heart of God says, oh, Lord, bring him there. And, man, do what you got to do in me. And, like, how are you going to use me to help him get there? That's, that's totally, now we're talking Christian. Before, it was, like, quasi-Christian. Not really Christian at all, actually. <laughs> the other way, it's very Christian, very Christ-like. All right. Well, we didn't get through all of chapter 13. But, um, listen, I, I just wanted to center on some things here, hopefully that we don't miss, okay? So we kind of tie it all together. Um, love, it's critical, paramount. For spiritual activity, what might happen, whatever might be manifested in a person, it's critical that love is in the heart of the people, of the persons involved. Not to create a name, not to create a status, not anything. The most healthy way these gifts work out with the Spirit is in love. It's just a heart that just has compassion and just love towards other people. That's when it's super healthy. Not to make a point or to prove something. It's like, man, God loves you so much. You might not even know it or feel it today. But I feel like God laid this on my heart. Or God wants to do this for you. Or God told me to pray for you right now just because he loves you. The other side of it is for us. Us humans battling with this flesh. We need to be, need to be empowered and sustained by the Holy Spirit to love the way He's talking about. I mean, it's just silly to think that we can get there on our own. It's very unrealistic, and it would just be very frustrating. And this love causes us many times, many times, to do things we don't want to do. It's just what comes with the Course. And you know what it's like, too? It's like um, uh, early on. I think one of, the, one of the first times I invested in the stock market, I want to say I was like 12 or 13. I think it was Reebok or Nike or something. And I think it was for a math project, actually. It's like a stock thing. So I was like, oh, you know, I, didn't, I don't know anything. I know I like sports. I know I like Nike. I know I like Michael Jordan. I'll get some stocks in Nike. That was my analyst strategy. So I picked up a few, you know. And I remember, so I took my, I didn't obviously have a lot of money, you know, so you don't have much, but you save whatever from mowing some lawns or birthdays or whatever. Got as, many, got as much as I could. I never, ever would pick up a newspaper and turn to the business section. I turned to the sports. Did the Bulls beat the Knicks? You know, did so-and-so went over here? What happened over there? Always would just turn to that. Especially at 12 years old. I mean, and that was before internet, you know, and everything, so you'd actually have to look at a paper. So, but then, I invest some of my money into this stock. Well, now it's like, I want to, what what's it doing? Now I'm looking for it to rise and for it to go down. Oh, why did it go down? And what's going on? And they lost some other stocks that my friends in class have. And I'm like, it splits. What do you mean it splits? Is that good? Is that bad? Like, they're winning? I'm, what is this? 
It's amazing to me that how like I invested, I invested into that, and now I wanted to pay attention to that. Love is very much the same way. And Jesus said it. He goes, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Part of my treasure is in that stock. I'm watching it. I want to get more. And love is very much the same way. If our treasure is into other people, and having God just, man, uphold them, having God just speak to their hearts, having God just radically, man, just impact them and encounter them. If that's where our treasure is, that's where we are. That's where we invest. That's where we're paying attention to. But, you know, if we're not really invested all that much, it's like, eh, you know, I guess I can kind of tolerate them or put up with them. Hopefully I won't explode on them. You know, like, where are we invested? That's the key. Where are we going to be invested into? And I would say, man, we totally worth it to invest into the love and forgiveness that's supposedly saved and transformed us. It's totally worth everything to invest into that and invest into people. Should we play some of Huey Lewis in the news, Power of Love? No, 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 no. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. Uh, Keith, you want to pray for us?